0: Welcome to the Customer Experience Management Podcast, hosted by Anders Gustafsson and Carlos Velasco. In this episode, Carlos interviews Dr. Alejandro Zalgado about machine psychology and customer experiences. Welcome, everyone, to the Customer Experience Management Podcast. Uh, I am today with a special guest. Uh, his name is Alejandro Salgado. I have known Alejandro for almost a couple of decades now. Uh, We have been working uh, together uh, in consulting, in research. We have been friends. We have been kind of like really interacting at at multiple levels. Um, Alejandro did his PhD at Oxford University in experimental psychology. And something that is quite interesting about Alejandro is that he has been uh, both doing a lot of research um, on multiple topics uh, associated with the human senses, with consumer behavior, and many others that he will tell you in a moment. But also he has been uh, doing a lot of consulting. So he has a lot of experience uh, bridging the gap between sort of like academic research and practice. And this is something that we want to um, talk about today. In particular, we're going to talk the pod. We're going to call the podcast of today "Machine Psychology," which is a topic that Alejandro has been working on for uh, a few years now. uh, That he will tell you in a moment what what is it about. But let me stop talking here. Uh, Alejandro, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Please let's start by uh, telling everyone a little bit more about yourself.
1: Carlos, thank you so much, and I'm so excited to be here and uh, and to to collaborate again, which is. Uh, one of the funnest things uh, I can do is collaborating with you, so I'm I'm really glad. Um, and well, you 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 gave me a wonderful introduction uh, about what I've been doing, and one of the things I'm really passionate about is um, to try to understand uh, behavior, right? What wh- how people think and how the way they think leads them to, uh, in some way, act in a specific way. In uh, in an environment, right? The consumer uh, relationships, life, right? Like, what is it that is that uh, powerful connection uh, with what we believe and uh, what we've experienced, and even the external factors, right? The sensory elements and how that in the end leads to um, this uh, sort of uh, decisions, right, that we make, and 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 that's kind of what my 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 big passion right now. And to try to explore this uh, from various sort of uh, perspectives.
0: That is uh, fantastic Alejandro and and I see that you have been doing that not only uh, again like research-wise from a psychological perspective but you have been including some uh, uh, let's say uh, Technologies that are not necessarily uh, new, but that have been kind of like the, their applications are relatively new, such as artificial intelligence in the context of consumer behavior to try to see how decisions are made and sort of factors that influence that. Right?
1: Yes. yes. So, so this is this is something rather sort of relatively new. I, I think after my my PhD at Oxford, where. Where we we spent a, a, a lot of time together <laughs> uh, a lot of time in the lab together actually, because yeah. we kind of never left the lab but uh, <laughs> uh, one of the one of the things uh, that that really interested me was um, the concept of psychophysics right like how do you um, in some way understand uh, psychological processes and human experience uh, from a mathematical and from a, a sort of uh, Sort of a, a governing equations perspective, right? how is it that there are some natural laws that interact with some human sort of systems to drive uh, who we are right and, and 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 I got really interested in mathematics because of that and and i said well can can i can I learn learn a little bit of more mathematics than than a, what i have and and can, and could I use that to to think about uh, psychology from a physical mathematics perspective and then build uh, something from that and then when i stumbled onto that i realized that i needed a lot of data and meeting a lot of data means you need a little bit of coding and uh, I, you need uh, engineers right one, one of the key things right in the end uh, engineers kind of solve most of the problems in the world you just have to tell them what the problem is right and if you fail then they solve the wrong problem uh, uh, <laughs> and usually the world blames them rather than who told them what the problem was but uh, once you get there to that point i think that uh, uh, you start getting the data, and you start building models, right? And thinking about uh, this, and 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 I think that's what I've been doing for for the last maybe six years uh, since since I came back from the PhD, but but in a very sort of uh, intense way from maybe 2019, saying can I can I build uh, a model that helps us understand the relationship between the world and 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 human experience uh, from a mathematical perspective. Um,
0: It's uh, very, very interesting. And and something that uh, I forgot to mention is that uh, Alejandro is the CEO, founder of a company called, I don't know how to say it in English. Is it Atriana or Atriana? Atriana, I guess. Atriana, yeah. Maybe. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh, And it's a company that is basically using uh, some of these models to kind of like help companies in a bunch of uh, different, uh, perhaps experience design uh, elements, I guess, through their touch points and so on which uh, Alejandro will tell us in a moment uh, more about. But let's start from the very, very beginning, Alejandro. So this is a podcast about customer experience management, and I'm going to try to pick on all the things that you know and that you're working on in this podcast, uh, in this topic on, right? Awesome. So the first question that I want to ask you is, from your perspective, what is an experience?
1: Oof, that's a tough one, I guess, right? Uh, yeah. Uh... <laughs> Because it's it's one of those things that you can define it in so many ways. But um, so I guess um, an experience in the end is uh, is when a, a a system right processes information and uh, creates a, a a sort of outcome right. It makes a decision about what happened and you call that experience right. You say I have a, a bundle of information that's coming in and that is coming from the outside world and it's. Uh, sort of going up from my body to my brain and uh, I integrate all that mostly in a non-conscious way and I I, I generate a, a conclusion right uh, a sort of a category and say "Oh, this is right and so the process of organizing all that information and then of integrating all that information and then on filtering and saying I don't want this and I don't want to remember this and I don't like this, and I do like this, right, and, and sort of filtering that in terms of, of what to remember, what to like, what not to like, all that, and then drawing a conclusion on that is what I would call an experience, right? Um,
0: that is super interesting, I see some of some uh, indire- indirectly, I see in some of your answer, uh, some theories of consciousness uh, and information processing, which is quite, quite interesting. So... Based on what you do, which uh, in some cases uh, involves the use of artificial intelligence, the question that I would like to ask you is now, what is the experiential value of artificial intelligence from your perspective? How are you using it? And if you have some examples, that would be great.
1: So one, one of the things we've been doing a lot in Adriana is to think about um, sort of how how is it that... Um, sort of people make decisions and how different elements in the environment and in their lives influence those decisions, right? So the, I think the value is being able to capture a lot of information, a lot of factors and variables, right? Around why people, for example, choose a product or why, for example, when you go into a hotel and uh, you actually rate the hotel, like your net promoter score is high and you like the hotel and you say it's fine, but you never go back. Or you actually remember a lot of things but you don't remember the hotel right so then the hotel manager would say i failed because this guy or th- this person didn't didn't say wow this is this is great and and, and my favorite part was the hotel and this is what well, we did everything right and you said you liked it he said yeah but i still don't care right and and then the question would be well what happened and if you ask the person they might not know so then how do you capture all those elements in the environment to help you understand right Uh, what are even the driving factors that in some way uh, generate a higher net promoter score in a, in a, in a service, right. And say, this is what I want. And, and, and and I love this. And I'm going to say, Hey, Carlos, you should, you should go to this hotel or you should definitely, I don't know, buy a subscription to Netflix uh, instead of just saying, Oh, it was all right. Or never even mentioning it to anyone and not generating any sort of word of mouth. Uh, So I think, Uh, Sort of uh, machine learning uh, driven models help us capture a lot of data and then help us see many of the dimensions, the layers, or the factors that may be involved in experiences.
0: That is uh, fascinating. And I guess from what you're saying, I also kind of like start seeing something that uh, we have discussed in the past, and is that this idea that uh, sometimes there seems to be a sort of gap if you may call it that way, uh, between uh, what AS, AI does for prediction in terms of what and when on the one hand and why on the other, right? So you're talking about this amount of data we can get, you know, and sort of the other predictions. But then in many questions, we're left with the why, you know, why did it happen? And I guess when you're talking about models, you know, where you're bringing this part of, you know, if we define a specific model, then we have a kind of like world understanding that can allow us to, better kind of like see what is happening here so can you elaborate a little bit more about this gap and what can we do about it
1: yes it's a, it's such a big challenge now i think it's a, if if uh, if we if we think about it it's uh i think i'll start with an example it's in every field uh, when you begin and you discover something new you're obsessed with documenting everything that happens right everything you can see well, sort of the the phenomenon right the, the sort of the the effect Right. And it's there. Right. So you look at marketing, marketing was obsessed with what, what people wanted uh, uh, and, and all these sort of right. Uh, you want a bigger screen on your phone. I'll give you a bigger screen. You don't want a keyboard. You want a touchscreen. I'll give you a touch screen, Right. So it was the what, the what, the what, the what. Right. But as, as the as the sort of competition grows and as markets mature and you get a ton of brands just doing the same what. Right. You have to start wondering. Well, why do you want this? And because the why sometimes reveals, one, new what's, but also tells you about the stability of the what, right? Will this change in a month? Will this change in a year? Um, is this meaningful? And is this like deeply meaningful to the person or is this something superficial? And I guess that's why you get brands that make mistakes, but still maintain a strong customer base, right? Uh, and other brands that definitely don't, um, maintain a strong customer base, even with a better product, because I think they have a what, but not uh, not a not a clear why. And when you go into machine learning and when you go into AI, what has happened is that this is something relatively new, right? Maybe, maybe a lot of the models have been here for 20 years, 30 years, but the, the processing power that we have now is new, right? The, the ability to take a trillion data points and say, let's see what happens. That's something relatively new. And being able to get the data too, right? Because of, of, of digital sort of systems, because of integrated services, right? D- different things. Um, and so once you get there, um, what, what you start seeing is the obsession is what, right? So I have a ton of data and I'll apply a brute force approach where I take all that data and tell an algorithm to find something. Obviously, this is very sort of a, a simplistic. It's, it's much more sophisticated, but right. But and you tell the algorithm, find something for me. And the algorithm, algorithm will definitely look for patterns. Right, and we'll say I've detected a pattern. Why that pattern was relevant, we don't know. Uh, why whether that pattern is real or spurious, we don't know. Uh, obviously, we can optimize it and increase it, and then verify it with the world. But the thing is, that's a lot of what's right. The connection between, for example, in an airline, um, what kind of people travel on Monday morning, and whether they sit on a row on, a, on an aisle or or window seat right? That, that's the what, right? What they want. Uh, but then if you ask why, you get a massive uh, sort of opportunity, right? Do, for example, more anxious people sit on the aisle? And would that mean that more anxious people are more impulsive? And will they pay a 10% higher price if you ask them to, compared to window people? Uh, and, and would that have an effect, right? And that's just the why, right? Why do you sit on the aisle? Why do you sit? the window, right? Why do you travel at 6am and not at 8am, even if it's for business, but why do some people wake up at 5am and some people at 8am, right? And you start looking at these things and you start realizing that behind that massive pattern of data that is very transactional, there is an identity. There is a There, is, there are breadcrumbs as to who we are and to why we are the way we are and what we really want. Uh, so I think the, the future is more and more going towards this concept of, I have a ton of data and then you'll say, everybody has a ton of data, right? It's kind of, you know, like wearing shoes or underwear, everybody has a ton of data. Uh, and then the next step is you're no longer competitive because of you have, because you have a ton of data. So the question is how much can you monetize your data? And the principle was, if I can connect all my data, I'm rich but then say, oh, I can do that too. Everybody can do it. And in less than five years, there'll be softwares that'll substitute part of the heavy lifting that machine learners are doing now because there's a scarcity, right? And when you have scarcity, you're going to get a product, right? When you don't have enough people to run analyses and they're getting more and more expensive, someone will come up with a software that says, we can do this heavy lifting for you for a subscription, right? A service. And so the question is, if anyone could do it, if they can pay for it and everyone has data, then what's your competitive advantage? And the only thing that remains is how deeply connected you are to your customer within your data, how much you know about them, how much you really understand them. And that's what I love about the why, right?
0: Well, I think this is a, a very, very, very interesting topic and it, it, it just raises uh, uh, many, many questions, you know, because uh, in a way it's, uh, it, it aligns with something that I tell my students is like, okay, you have all these data you have access to it, but if you want to make it meaningful then you have to take what you know about the world put that as lenses and try to kind of like refine those models that you have the world so that you understand processes you know why things are happening more than just the fact that they're just simply happening right so this is this is very very interesting and um, I think this is a good point to to move to a topic or a concept I guess that that you have been uh working on uh, that you've been developing in a series of talks and, and, and sort of like the work that you're doing, uh, which is this concept of machine psychology, something that I have heard you uh, talking about. Uh, can you elaborate on it?
1: Yeah. So, so this was, this was kind of a fluke uh, sort of concept that happened. So I was, I remember I was um, working on, on, the I haven't even founded the company and, um, uh, but I was thinking of, of founding the company and, 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 uh, and um, a friend of mine in Germany said, "Hey, can you can you come to Germany and talk to uh, a bunch of engineers that work on uh, energy efficiency and infrastructure development and a sort of um, sort of uh, predictive coding and sort of machine learning related to sort of uh, energy models? And could you talk to them a little bit about the importance of psychology in 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 sort of human behavior and prediction?" And I said. Well, I don't know much about uh, machine learning, and I don't know a lot about uh, uh, sort of this this uh, business you're in, right? And he said, I-, I don't care. I just want you to come talk about behavior, right? And and I'd read as much as you can about what we do, and 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 get an idea. But I just want to inspire them, right? And I started reading about this, um, and I started looking at energy efficiency and uh, and uh, sustainability and solar panels and and, and things I really never read about or. Obviously, we know about energy, we know about solar panels, but but not the technical side. Uh, um, and and I started looking at all these sort of IT technologies and things like that. And I said, this is really cool. And there's a ton of behavior things there, right? Uh, and I always felt like they they were they were onto something. And then they would stop and say, we we're finished, right? That's it. Why? Why did you stop here? If the, the 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 funnest part you can do is the the why understanding, right? Not 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 explaining or describing, but understanding. But maybe that's because I'm a scientist, right? And and they were really just focusing on solving a problem. And if we all just kind of got uh, passionate about why we wouldn't have cars and planes and uh, I don't know uh, um, MRIs, right? The really important things in the world. So some people actually have to focus on fixing the problem, not only just saying I'm going to understand the world. Um, and so when I started looking at that, um, and, I, and I gave my talk, uh, what I what I understood after talking to these I don't know hundred engineers there at in Germany at the at the Fraunhofer Institute was uh, there's a huge need to to have machines think like we do. Um, and and that was that is truly what artificial intelligence should be, and uh, probably somewhere in a basement. Uh, yeah, maybe in a, in a in a Google sort of lab or or in a Microsoft lab or or in a Chinese lab right somewhere there might be some something remotely intelligent on uh, a, a machine but but as of now uh, what we do is machine learning right um, and uh, and what we do is deep learning and, and we and we teach algorithms to adjust based on on data uh, sometimes rules sometimes things, uh, but the problem we 've been having is that sometimes no matter how much data you give them even hundreds of millions of driving hours took to self-driving cars. While they do some remarkable things and they will prevent 99% of the mistakes humans make, because I think humans were not designed to drive, honestly. Uh, the, the rate of accidents in big cities tells you that, definitely. But, uh, but while machines can do everything we can't very well, machines can't do something very simple as to sometimes detect a human on a, on a pedestrian crossing and then they'll run over them. And and for any human, even a very lazy one, if they can see the human, they'll stop, right? Uh, but the machine can actually see the human so that the problem is not seeing it. They can detect it, but they'll misinterpret what that unit of information human is in that specific concept because there was a stripe on the ground or because of the, I don't know, the angle or something, and the machine will make a mistake. So the, the, the problem we have right now is how do we teach machines to understand the rules of the world we're introducing them to? That common sense knowledge, which, what that is called in, in sort of machine learning and information theory. Um, and, and what I thought was, well, what we kind of need is a, a machine psychologist, right? Just like when, when you're being anxious or, or when you're seeing the world in a way that affects you negatively. It makes you sad it makes you uh generate more conflict it makes you angry or, or it makes you depressed right you go to a psychologist and, and you tell them look I'm, I'm having this and what the, re- the psychologist really does is that it, it changes not the input of information but the categories and the understanding right the conclusion of all that process of organizing filtering and categorizing the information and by changing that outcome right of information processing, we become more accurate uh, generating predictions about the world and happier out of that, at least sometimes. Sometimes the truth hurts, or most of the time, right, apparently. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But once you see that, you you take the machine and you say, what I really want is uh, to help the machine understand that it's looking at the world in a way that is negative, that is not positive for, for the outcome we want. So it's about feeding the machine information that shows it a different way of seeing the world.
0: So in a way, if I I can paraphrase this, it would be, it's about kind of like curating the, the sort of information that actually builds up the prediction in a way, based on a sort of understanding of the context or the specific behavior that you're looking at.
1: Amazing, yes. And not only curating it, but anticipating what the machine might actually say or do or react to right so right now just before we met we were talking about a model where we are binding sort of lifestyle and, uh, and attitudinal traits from people about 30 million people uh, and we were looking at how to connect them to specific trends in the next 24 months right like Is it going to be, uh, I don't know, people want to, I don't know, experience more uh, travel? Will they uh, want more pleasurable experience? Will they like deeper connections during whatever their services, right? Things like that. So what we were doing is we were thinking about keywords that we could run through 2 billion words, right? And connecting them together, right? But then once you take a word, for example, like, um, I don't know, a cause, a social cause, right? Right. The concept of the word or the definition is polysemic, right? So you can have a cause as a medical cause, a negative cause, a social cause. So if you tell the machine to go look for that word and connect it, it'll be a mess of things, right? Because it'll say, oh, you want a medical cause connected to a social cause, connected to an environmental cause, connected to a natural cause. And it's going to connect those things. And then when you ask them to create a connection between two concepts, it'll be a disaster because it'll bring things that have nothing to do with what you want. But it's not the machine's fault. It's that you didn't understand how the machine thinks. You didn't understand the amount of processing power the machine has and the little capacity it has to look at context. So if you don't give the machine context, for example, a better word or some rules, the machine will fail. Mm. Right. So <clears throat> machine psychology is about anticipating and, as you said, about curating the cons- the content. Right. That we provide the machine to make it better at thinking like us.
0: Mm-hmm. And would it also make sense to say that it also depends on the sort of process that the machine may use? I mean, I'm I I'm not uh, completely familiar with this, but uh, for in my understanding, there are some let's say machine learning um, procedures, some in which that capture I don't know like word relationships, semantic relationships, or that capture all the metaphorical aspects of words. Let's say so it's it's in a way would be like about the process the machine is using and the sort of process that is measuring it? Or, or how, how would you see this?
1: I love it. And yes, and, and that part you're talking about is, I think that engineers are amazing at, you know? They, if you tell them, look, I need to do this, they'll find a way because they are problem solvers, the best problem solvers, right? They'll fix it however, right? But the way I see this is more like a, like a, a, a parent or like a family and a nutritionist, Right. So the the parents are the engineers who can program and code and sort of shape things, uh, and they can feed the kid anything, right? They they say, just tell me what I'll need to buy and I'll feed my kid, right? But the nutritionist is the one saying, well, you shouldn't give them candy all day long because they're going to go crazy and die, Hmm. right? And the nutritionist says, you should give them some vegetables. You know, that's important for the kid. And you should give them some fruit, not so much mm. candy. And you should give them some protein, right? And, and kind of the nutritionist kind of builds that. So the engineer can do whatever you want and can buy whatever you want for the kid and feed it to the kid and can make sure it's in the right time, in the right way, the right process. Everything's amazing. But sometimes how nutritious is the algorithm or the, 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 i mean the data and how precise is for example the 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 feeding strategy or the feeding schedule right mm. that's where you really want um uh, uh a nutritionist right which is the machine psychologist and and then there's concepts like one-shot learning now where with much less data than what you do with deep learning you can actually achieve a very sort of stable algorithm that makes good predictions but it's about how you build a model sort of the connection the concept of creating a, a sort of metaphor within the code saying this is like an organism learning for the first time how to walk and you use that metaphor into the system and then you say and i'm going to feed it this data that is the most nutritious data to make it smarter faster right sort of instead of i don't know reading uh, i don't know uh, Trashy novels, right, uh, Mm. that have a very simple sort of English or or language and uh, don't have a very sort of good conceptual grasp of the world and give it to a kid and say, give it for the next 10 years. If you give them a variety of topics from science to a Nobel Prize in literature to uh, a comic book or different things, the level of uh understanding the level of experience that they'll have is much richer much more profound so it's about nutrition right cognitive nutrition hmm. uh the same for the kids the same for the animal the same for the for the machine
0: hmm. okay no, that that makes <clears throat> absolute sense and i like the metaphor because it kind of like helps actually visualize very clearly the, the in a way multidisciplinary work you know because one of the things that i really like yes. all these uh, these sort of like i mean you know it's like I think this is something that working from experimental psychology, we both know, but uh, it's it's easy to forget when you are in a kind of like very specific business context or in a very specific experiment in psychology or something, is that human behavior is multidimensional and there are so many methods and ways of approaching it that in a way, uh, in particular in light of these digital transformations that we've been talking about, uh, having a multidisciplinary team trying to understand behavior is kind of like almost becoming imperative, right? Because there are so many things that we can capitalize on that is just, it would be silly not to.
1: <clears throat> definitely, definitely. I think right now we're working with anthropologists, psychologists, engineers, physicists, mm. right? Uh, we've got a ton of people for, with MBAs, with different things, just kind of saying, well, how do you see it, right? It's like, mm. like if, if I show you the same
0: image, what do you think about that image? And uh, yeah. from that That is super interesting. Okay, bear with me. I'm going to draw a picture of something that I'm seeing. And it's that, you know, traditionally we have this um, customer journey in in customer experiences. Typically, we say that we have the pre-purchase stage, the purchase stage, and the post-purchase stage. And in each of these stages of the customer journey, we have specific behaviors, right? So in the pre-purchase stage, we're looking for options. In the purchase stage, you are kind of like going through a transaction. In the post-purchase stage, we have sort of like the sort of after-purchase behaviors related, like discarding or servicing and stuff like that. So something that we do when we're designing experiences is kind of like carefully selecting a series of touch points that are part of each of these stages to facilitate behavior, right? And traditionally, what would happen, and you and I have done this a few times in the past, is there is a company that comes and say, look, I have... Uh, An advertisement uh, that I want to test that's going to be my touch point for the pre purchase stage of the customer journey. How does it perform? Is it engaging my customers? You know, is it kind of like uh, giving, uh, creating some sort of like emotional uh, 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 reaction in them and so on? And you can actually test them, but typically this has been tested through traditional methods like everything from focus groups to surveys, maybe perhaps some. Uh, more consumer neuroscience-inspired or related, such as eye tracking and so on. But something that we're doing now, that many people are doing, is now adding this layer of artificial intelligence for consumer understanding. So in a way, it's not that you just bring people